2: All right, helping me open the new episode of Fight Game Podcast Extra is Jeremy Finestone, co-host of the brand-new show in our network feed here. Speaking of strong style, replacing Write That Down with Justin Nipper and Fumi Sayido. If you heard last week's show, uh, I talked to J- uh, Justin about why uh, Write That Down was leaving the network, nothing personal. I really just don't think that they could get a weekly episode going. And and so they would they probably just want to, you know, record more sparingly and just put them up whenever not not really be held to the the weekly that that we do. But, Jeremy, you guys are now in the free feed. You guys are a, a hardcore New Japan pro wrestling up to date kind of show. Uh, what are your thoughts on doing this weekly? Like, feel any pressure? Like, like, what's going on? Is G1 time. I feel like it's the perfect time for you guys to come.
3: It is <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing this every week, and there have been heavy weeks like tag team weeks, uh, tournaments, and the New Japan Cup, and the Best of the Super Juniors. This is the uh, most well-known time of the year for New Japan Pro Wrestling, but it is certainly not the only tournament. And you find a way to pace yourself. You're just kind of like, oh boy, got 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 four shows this week. going to have to figure out how to find, I don't know, 10 extra hours in my life sometimes they don't even have the english commentary that is a challenge but i found i don't even notice it anymore really,
2: really? so i was looking at the lineup for the first show mm. and in previous incarnations of the g1 you could kind of get away with going like oh there's there's only four matches and you know two of them are going to be long and two of them are going to be short so it doesn't feel like it's that that big of a you know of an ask but There's like so many matches on these shows now, but I know they're they're not as often, but still it feels like a much bigger ask just based on the number of matches per show.
3: They have made a significant number of changes with the scheduling this year to mitigate that. So in the past, if most people are familiar with the G1, they were 30-minute match time limits. This year, they're only 20-minute time limit matches. So So we should see more draws this year we're going to absolutely see more draws. and i think that uh that's baked into the equation for a lot of the for a lot of the matches and a lot of the brackets uh the way they've strategically set things up so you have the a and b block all of their matches are on uh alternating nights with the b with the c and d block so half of the g1 will never be on the same show on the same card with the other block and they're all traveling alternating with each other and the playoffs are are post bracket play, or when any of these guys are going to see each other. So that's an intriguing element with the way they have the G one lined up this year.
2: Yeah, I pre, you know, in previous incarnations, you know, what I would do is lunchtime comes around, I'm going to grab some lunch, and I just grab my phone and I throw the New Japan World uh, on and i just kind of zip through it and you know by the time my lunch is over i saw the most important matches mm-hmm. and it do- it doesn't seem like that's going to be uh, the case if you want to watch everything now i'm sure people will still pick and choose and such but do you and steven your co-host do you guys have a plan of attack like have you thought about what your process is going to be because you guys record on tuesday afternoon and that no i'm sorry wednesday afternoon mm-hmm. and it goes up on thursday morning so, you know, you guys will have a few shows in the can to watch by then. Yep. But have you guys even discussed
3: the way that you're going to do it? It's really funny that you mentioned this. So when we went from being a live show on YouTube, we did this on Tuesday afternoons. Now that we pivoted over, not replacing, but just filling the void of write that down. Because as much as Stephen Conway is a historian, the show by Fumi, and Saito, Fumi Saito and uh, just Dipper was irreplaceable. We're just happy to have the opportunity.
2: I mean, we we were just... So lucky to have Fumi for as long as we did. Like, I I didn't know how long that show was going to last. And they just kept doing it. And I was like, man... We're so lucky to have those guys, but, uh, but yeah, you know, at some point I knew it
3: was going to end and it's good, yeah. you know, good, good time for you guys. So we ended up getting the opportunity to record on Wednesdays instead. And this happened a couple of weeks ago. Lo and behold, I go to the look at the new Japan schedule and almost every week there is a break in the action come Wednesday morning before we record. And then there's either a Friday or a Saturday show. And then another group of four shows. So we're going to be able to hit a breaking point every week that if you stop watching on Wednesday, that is where we stopped and you can just pick it up the next day. The timing of the G1 in our show, pretty great planning.
2: Yeah, no, it works out great. Yeah. Okay. So I asked you before you came on to come up with three bold predictions. So this isn't your run of the mill, you know, prediction. I want you to kind of dig deep and, get a little risky here three bold ones that that people may not see coming and hey if you're wrong you know you're you're wrong but this is an educated opinion an educated bold prediction coming from you so why don't you give me uh, the first of your three
3: the first of the three is that Hanada will end up with the most points of all 32 bracket people. He will outscore Okada, he will outscore Will Ospreay, he will outscore Naito, he will outscore Finley. He will have more points than anyone else coming out of the brackets.
2: And this gives him by winning his side. It gives him an opportunity to go to the semifinals. That's how it worked, right? It goes yes. down to like a final four,
3: uh, final eight, actually. Oh, so final eight. Two, the final two of both brackets will end up into uh, the post bracket play, and there is a formula and a preset seeding so that where you end up in the bracket is actually fundamentally important for the uh, next few steps. So. Because there's been kind of an appearance that not doesn't look quite as strong of a champion, maybe the forbidden door match with Jack Perry left people underwhelmed as a showcase for him and had the match with Yoda Suji that people were, you know, making clamorings about maybe we should put the belt on Yoda Suji in the middle of the match.
2: Uh, this yes. is an
3: opportunity <laughs> I watched
2: that match I could see why people were thinking that, that 100% is cool.
3: so we are in a position to put Sonata in a position to make him look like a prominent dominant IWGP champion and in order to do that you want to make him look the best among the field this is an easy way to do that and with the bracket being what it is Chase and Hikaleo, Yota Suji, Ren Narita, Shota Umino, and Kaito Kiyomiya. There's a lot of younger talent and a lot of people that it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if they suffered a loss to the IWGP champion. All right, what is your second bold prediction? Speaking of Kaito Kiyomiya, I believe he is going to be the second person from the A bracket to make it to the post-bracket play. And in addition to that, I think he's going to make it to the final four. Oh, wow. I do. I think there's an opportunity for him to get a win over uh, a couple of name players and to put the shine on him as it were. He doesn't need to go past that to really like get people's attention. Maybe raise the eyebrow a little bit in terms of his profile. Uh, I think there is a reason that he is in the g1 he backed out of the n1 which is the NOAA round robin tournament that is going on at the same time and he's got a long-running subplot with uh okada that justin nipper has explained on speaking of strong styles he's guested on our show before and so there's a lot to it that you know raising his profile going into uh the post bracket play of g1 makes a lot of sense all right, what is your third? The third one is that the C block of all the blocks, that is the one with Shingo Takagi, Eddie Kinstead, David Finley, Aaron Hinare. That's going to be the one with the best matches after all said and done. It's going to be better than the Okada and Will Ospreay bracket. It's going to be better than the Naito Zap Saber bracket. It'd be better than the Sonata-Kaito Kamiya bracket. I think that that block, is going to be the one everyone is talking about when all the matches are over.
2: You mean that that blocks going to have the best match quality out of all the blocks.
3: absolutely. People are going to be talking about it. They're going to be like the conversations are going to be about the C block matches. All right. I like them. Um, I got, I got one more from Stephen Conway. If you want to hear it. Oh yeah, for sure. So I, I was able to get a, back. get on the horn with my partner, Stephen Conway and asked him what he had for a bold prediction. And so he is a big, big believer in Shota Umino. And he believes that Shota Umino may end up making it to the post bracket play. Oh, wow. And if he does, he believes that Shota will get his first really big high profile singles win against somebody in new Japan pro wrestling. His previous big win is a match against Zack saber jr winning and eliminating him for new Japan cup in March. That is his biggest singles win. And she- and Conway believes this is the
2: time. Does he beat him with the STF? That's the question.
3: Well, he's going to be beating some people with the STF.
2: (laughs) You know that I'm old enough to remember when Bill Watts' son, Eric Watts, was (laughs) handed down the STF to win matches in, like, 1992 or whatever it was.
3: That, That move, man, it just it carries on through the years. It just, it finds a way to persevere.
2: (laughs) All right. I also asked you for one more uh, set uh, uh, of uh, things here. Mm -hmm. Now, I think you've been on record as to say, you believe Will Ospreay is winning this.
3: Yes. Yes. But I do have a couple scenarios that we can go down. That is it quite so I'm a ride or die for Will Ospreay. And if, and if you watch the press conference that recently aired on New Japan World, probably air on YouTube and all social media, you should watch the comments made by one Will Osprey about his goals and determinations going forth in the G1. This is a man on a mission.
2: So what I want from you is if you were to pick three guys and only one needs to hit, you only need you only need one out of those 3 to win, but mm-hmm. these the, these are your three best choices who are going to win the G1. I imagine one of them is just Okada cuz you kind of have to have him in there even though hasn't he won it like twice in a row or something like that?
3: He won it 4 times and he won it in 2012, he won it in 2014 and then he recently won it in 2021 and 2022. Okay, so, yeah.
2: yeah, so he has won it t- twice in a row. So he would be literally Three times in a row for him to win.
3: Statistically the favorite, if you yeah. really wanted to look at that. Yes. A-
2: and, you know, so maybe that makes him unlikely to win just because of that. Uh, but, you know, just the idea that he, he's, he seems to be the their go-to on, on many occasions. Um, but who would those three be? So one would be Will. Yes. And who would the other two be if you, like, really, really had to get this thing right
3: if I'm going into the weeds, there's a lot of arguments to be made for Naito to be the next person up for that IWGP title match with Sonata uh, winning it. He aband- abandoned LIJ. Uh, I kind of assumed that the match at Dominion was going to be Naito and Sonata because eventually that was going to happen. And it never happened. We got Yoda Suji instead. We haven't had the Naito and Hanada match, as it were. And Naito hasn't really had a really big Wrestle Kingdom match. And last year, he had the Wrestle Kingdom in Yokohama feud going on with uh, the Noah guys, but he wasn't really anywhere near the front center for Wrestle Kingdom this past year. So there's a lot of arguments to be made with the way that New Japan has now curated a. Western main event and a Japanese main event that a Sonata Naito uh, match headlining makes a whole ton of sense. It just, is there a belt at play? All right.
2: So you have Will and you have Naito. So who would your third person be?
3: The third person would be David Finley.
2: Okay. So not Okada. So not okay. Okada. Would Okada be in your top five?
3: No, I don't think so this year. I, uh, maybe top five. He's okay. not someone that I'm considering, mainly for the reasons that he's kind of turned into a surly asshole, and <laughs> and everything is just kind of like, I'm here to prove that I'm good enough to be here, and you are all like lucky to be here. But if he doesn't win, he doesn't seem particularly fussed. It's this weird dynamic of just being crusty and like, I know how good I am.
2: It's not going to be pissed that he tapped out to a man with a broken arm
3: with the way that he behaved at that press conference today. He, it wasn't balloon Okada, but he was just like, you are all beneath me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, let's get back to David Finley. Uh, Finley has orchestrated a hostile takeover of bullet club. And he is the never open weight champion. And there are a lot of stories in play about the dominance of Bullet Club and the dominance of his leadership with Bloody Hands, Ghetto. And it would be a shocking turn of events to have David Finley win the G1. But this has been the year of shocking events. You had Sonata winning the New Japan Cup and then winning the title. You've had a number of debuts. You had Brian Danielson beating Kazuchika Okada in a co-spotter event with New Japan, Pro, with AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can't rule out Ghetto just being a tricky bastard this year and just having fun and, and just messing with everybody. Uh, I don't know if it's best for business right now, but they are, they are in a renaissance period and they're taking a lot of chances with a lot of, with a lot of different talent. You can see it with Bullet Club. You can see it with uh, the Strong Style faction, just five guys People are, people are clowning them when they just hear the names and the concepts. When you're watching the show, you're just like, I see what's going on here. The, the audience is reacting to it. And what matters to New Japan Pro Wrestling is what the home base audience is reacting to. And if the Western audience likes it, great. But they are not our driving like audience and who we're here to please. So it's an interesting kind of dynamic when you're watching it. But the other piece
2: of actually winning the G1 is main eventing at Russell kingdom. Now you don't have to necessarily main event at Russell kingdom. It's the opportunity and you could always lose that opportunity. So you're telling me you could actually see David Finley main eventing or being in the title match at Russell kingdom.
3: I could see him being in a title match at Russell kingdom. The company seems to be incredibly behind this iteration of bullet club. And they have made Uh, they have taken Tamatonga and beat him pillar to post in a main show of Dominion, took him to a stretcher, and then he has not been bat since. He wasn't even, I don't believe he was even at the press conference today before the G1. They have done everything in their power to give you the illusion that this is a volatile, dangerous faction that's capable of anything. And so if you're asking me for a dark horse, deep, deep candidate. Of who could win the thing, Finley would be my final third. Interesting. Yeah. All right.
2: Well, you and Steven will be up on Thursday morning with your first uh, G1 recap and analysis. And I'm excited to see how this show takes off because uh, and really what I'm hopeful is is that New Japan's product keeps getting hotter and hotter. And in the U.S. Uh, that it gets hotter because that helps you guys that 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 helps people who are interested in getting into it and you know you guys cover it uh, at a pretty hardcore level so oh, if yeah. you're if you're looking for information if you're looking for detail if you're looking for some foreshadowing or reading into things where they may be going you know Jeremy and Steven uh, have you covered so uh, I'm I'm glad that it's I'm glad that you guys are doing it I'm glad that we're doing it now during this time of the year because you know, this time of the year and right around Russell Kingdom seem to be the, the, the two hottest points of the year for New Japan. So this should be nice, nice little run for you guys here.
3: Yeah, speaking of Strong Style is designed to be a show that a novice of New Japan looking to get into Jiu-Chan at that moment, that day, can listen to our podcast, understand what's going on, take away the main points, and then hit the ground running. Every week, that is our goal. You pick it up, for the first time, you hear what we had to say, and you're able to just go along with the product and enjoy it like we do. If we are able to accomplish that for one person a week, we have done our job.
2: All right. That will, uh, that will be it for for Jeremy here. Thanks, thanks for jumping on. I wanted to kind of give people uh, who don't know a lot about speaking of strong style a little bit about you know what you guys are about so uh that was great and then thanks for your predictions as well and uh let's go to mike and jd you gotta follow jeremy fellas
1: nfl sunday ticket is now on youtube and youtube tv which means that it just got easier to be an nfl fan even if you live far away like maybe you like the bears but you're hibernating in panthers territory but with nfl sunday ticket your
2: out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. All right, well, I want to welcome Mike Gilbert and JD Oliva to Fight Game Podcast Extra. They have been on the Fight Game Podcast before as a duo, and I wanted to bring them back again. So, fellas, before we even get to the hellos, um, should I continue to describe JD as intense or not? Are we just moving, (laughs) moving past that?
0: Dude, I'm sitting there eating chicken pad Thai by myself at a restaurant at camp, and I hear, "Man, JD's like super intense." And I'm like, "What? That's shit, man!" Uh, <laughs> I, called, I called my wife, and I'm like, "This is music. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, that's that's the vibe you give off to everybody." and I'm like, "Oh,
2: well, so <laughs> we're getting a little meta here already in the beginning, but this, this is this is based off of a conversation that I had with Mike on our Patreon." We did that uh, last weekend, I believe, uh, yeah. and and so I was basically saying, you know, Mike plays the funny guy, and JD plays a little bit more of like the straight serious role in in the duo in the in the act of, of the Mike and JD show, and I, I described JD as intense as a way to sort of explain the differentiation, and when I did that, I thought, okay, intense is safe because what's not safe is like scary or mean cuz that's absolutely <laughs> not jd <clears throat> yeah. i thought about serious but some people take serious a, a little differently as well i thought no nah, no intense is safe i i feel fine and then i turn on the mike and jd show <laughs> that just dropped this morning <laughs> and you guys opened with it and i was like oops intense wasn't safe no, i got I got a, I got to honest
0: uh, to god it's the perf- is the perfect way to describe me i think that's how everybody would pretty much Talk about me if they had just first met me. So I, I just had a good laugh when I heard that because I was it was so like unexpected to hear it in that moment. I was just like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being at a party and people are talking about you and like, do they know I can hear this? <laughs>
2: like... <Yeah. laughs> well, you know, the thing, the thing about it is is I have been able to hang out with JD and JD's an absolute sweetheart. But right. I could I, I could sense, you know, that if you if no one had met you and you're kind of walking up to them or you were sitting down like you, you do have an aura like it's 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 not a like laid back, like super like just for, like you're, you're like, yeah, I'm here like that's your aura. And I don't know if you do it intentionally, but that's kind of just how how you know you do it.
0: One of my kids in class. said, why you got resting bitch face? And I had to say, I have this giant forehead and beady <laughs> eyes,
2: and it makes me look angrier than I am all the time so well that that just makes me wonder, you guys have not met in person, never.
1: No, no. And uh, I'll i be honest, I don't think I'm ever going to Chicago. Uh, so, so unless he's willing to come to uh, California.
0: I would go to California in a heartbeat. Northern California. I don't know about that. That's what's there? Uh, like,
1: well, I mean, I'm I'm currently in Hawaii, so everybody wants to come to Hawaii. So
0: did I go to
2: Hawaii tomorrow if the opportunity yeah. arose? Well, I already told Mike that if he has any plans on on coming back this way, that uh, we got to. A Dave Meltzer, ple or pay per view or something uh, that will that will invite Mike to so that he can come see the process of watching wrestling with Dave.
1: Yeah, I've... that that would be a lot of fun. That that really would be a lot of fun for me. I've gotten to do that twice in Garrett's hotel
0: room during All Out weekends.
2: <laughs> it's an experience, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so we didn't just come here to talk about that stuff. We I did bring them on because. I am very fascinated by the way that they do their show, their takes, kind of their chemistry, and, and and the reason why it surprises me that you guys have never met is because the chemistry is off the charts as it pertains to your personalities. Like you guys set each other up and know each other very well. Now I'm sure some of this has to do with you. There's visual cues because we do these shows on, on video as well. But that was there was even before there was even a a, a whole bunch of shows you guys did before we. Did the video, unless you were doing Zoom. I don't know. I don't remember how you guys were recording.
1: Yeah we, we always we started recording on Zoom right away and that was the original incarnation of our show and there was always a video component to it because very early on I was very much of the opinion that we should be doing clips and putting things on YouTube as I felt that YouTube was a good way to, to promote the, mm-hmm. the, the audio version of it right And so we always did we always did video the entire time. Um, but you know as it relates to, to JD and I it just it just came natural. Right. Like I, I immediately came in and I was like, if this thing's going to work, I got to be myself. Right. I can't like temper who I am down and I can't not tell my jokes. I have to get the jokes in there. And I just hope that he's going to be OK with it. And he's going to get the jokes. Well, it turns out we're pretty close in age. We're, we, we have the similar dumb jock humor. We like, <laughs> we like a lot of the same things. And we didn't know that going into the relationship. We found that out through the course of the podcast and yeah. just through talking back and forth, right? Like I could put out a dumb 80s movie reference and JD will get it like that and it'll pop him every time. I didn't know that before I said the joke. It just ended up working. It's just mm-hmm. one of those natural things. Like it was never really like a planned thing. Like I'll be honest, I didn't pick JD to be my partner. In fact, Jeremy picked us to have uh-huh. this show and we didn't really know that it was going to work and then immediately <laughs> once we started doing the show together it just it just clicked perfectly right away jeremy will
2: and- be glad to hear that though because he was just on the first segment and and as i closed that first segment i said that you know you guys get, you guys got to follow jeremy so there you go jeremy yeah. reference in the first uh, six minutes well
0: it's Absolutely. funny because mike and i got to know each other you know, through the the Facebook group and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to start, you know, it was during the pandemic, I was bored and I I wanted to start doing these like old movie reviews. And I'm like, who wants this? Like who would, who would publish this? And Mike's like, I would. So I was doing all these old movie reviews. Like I was those. like gremlins and inner space. (laughs) It was basically whatever I found on Max, that dreamscape, like anything I found on Max (laughs) that night that I wanted to watch, I would write these reviews from Mike's website. I don't think they fit at all, but it actually gave (laughs) us a chance to kind of get to know each other. So going into that podcast, we were kind of like, you know, like we knew who each other was, like we had a friendly, you know, back and forth already. And then the show just kind of, it just kind of worked. And I think that um, I'm, I think I'm good at being a a good second banana. Like I'm really good at kind of following what people are doing. Cause I've I've had a podcast, a comic culture podcast since about 2017. And I jumped into that one. I came on late. So I've always kind of you know, this is the format of that show. I just kind of kind of go with the flow of things and when I was doing that with Justin like Justin's super serious too so we had like this yeah you know serious like uh, scholarly look at Japanese pro wrestling and i I have no problem playing that role and then with Mike, I got to just kind of kind of be me a little bit because the two of us are like Mike said pretty pretty similar
2: now when it comes to our backgrounds in professional wrestling I'm you know i've I forgot when when Mike and I were trying to figure out the age difference I'm you know I'm between five and 10 years older than you guys. So my reference point starts a little earlier, but I know that you both, you know, doing what we do, you kind of have to be somewhat of a historian knowing, understanding what happened, you know, before we started watching and this bloodline thing that is currently happening right now, that is really dominating professional wrestling and the TV landscape. I don't know if you guys read the latest observer, but, This is the first time ever in the history of television that pro wrestling uh, won the week on broadcast. And that was last week's SmackDown. And that was, you know, Jey Uso, uh, the the trial of Roman Reigns. And I'm just, you know, with with your background and just what you guys enjoy in entertainment, and, and we'll start with you, JD. Like, what is it about this bloodline thing that you think... Is is capturing a, a fan base, not only the current WWE fan base, but a lapsed fan fan base that wasn't watching a year and a half ago.
0: I'm glad you asked this. I literally just wrote a 1200 word piece for voices wrestling talking about this and specifically to the idea of story the, the the word story gets thrown around pro wrestling a lot and i don't think people really know what story means and you know um for, don't know i'm i'm a writer like a novelist by you know that's my background that's how i got into to doing these things As i write books and i kind of stumbled into doing some wrestling writing uh and comics i write comics too so like when I was taking writing classes, we talked about what the nature of story is and what it means to have a story. I'll never forget that the teacher on the first day says, um, what, what is a story? And I said, is, that's kind of subjective as to what it is, right? And he said, no, it isn't subjective. And very curt, very matter of fact. And I was like, dang, okay. And this is the guy that brought the Guardians of the Galaxy back to prominence. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna listen to what this dude says. A story by its nature is you have a character. Character mm-hmm. has a goal something is standing in the character's way of achieving that goal that is the essence of a story and then from then it breaks into a three into a into your your three acts and every act has your character beats and stuff like that what is working with the bloodline thing isn't the fact that it's a story because pro wrestling is a story anytime you have a pro wrestling match it's a story guy wants to win a match opponent standing in his way Mm -hmm. that's the story what's working with this isn't necessarily the idea that it's a story it's character Right. It's the character beats that are getting people. The Roman Reigns character is super easy to break down. Right. He is a fallen son. He is the guy who was supposed to be handed everything and failed. And now that he has gotten back to prominence, he will do everything in his power to hang on to that. So he's become this manipulative, detestable person. But like a lot of good villains in TV, that becomes super appealing to people. Mm -hmm. Right. And it isn't necessarily the fact that it's a story that works. It's you've got a super relatable Interesting character, and Roman Reigns doesn't play him like, like he's the good guy. Like Roman Reigns is very on top of like Joe and understands the character he's playing. And when you've got that sort of a thing, when you've got a character that that people can put their their hooks into, it appeal. It goes over everything. Like like one of the things we talk about in writing is character over plot. Plot is overrated. Character is what people come back for. And this is a prime example of it. The Roman Reigns character and how everybody else kind of bounces within his orbit is why the bloodline is working right now
2: now mike i'm sure your uh your thought process is similar without the technical terms but like what what is what is working for you and, and maybe it's it's not working for you I, i'm not sure <laughs> if, if, it, if it is or not but why do you think it's working for the majority of the fan base
1: well, it is working for me. Uh, I, you know, and I might be on the uh, the opposite end of a lot of uh, fans who are super hardcore AEW fans who, I think a lot of people resent the fact that it's working so well because they just don't quite understand it because they, if it's WWE, it must be crap. And then yeah. unfortunately for them, this is very good, right? And it's completely working. S- ticket sales are up. PLE numbers are up. Uh, merchandise is up. Ratings are up. They're, they're destroying everything. And the... There and there's a lot of reasons why that is, but the bloodline is the, the focal piece. Uh, you know, and I, I relate it to, yeah, like like JD was saying, it's it's the characters and the depth of the characters, but it's also the performances of the wrestlers playing those parts mm-hmm. and the performances of, of Paul Heyman too. Like Roman's doing a great job in his role. Paul Heyman's doing amazing jay uso is doing amazing jimmy's doing great solo sokoa in his kind of like stoic background character role um as kind of a henchman he's doing great and then before that you had sammy Zayn and you had kevin owens and they were doing great so everybody that gets pulled into that oh that that orbit has stepped their game up completely because they know how just how big this is you know the bloodline to me and and i know and people like calling it cinema and yada. that's all crap <laughs> but it it does remind me of a a serialized television show kind of something kind of like you know uh Yellowstone or something like that right or or like or John Mu Shadow Buddy like Banshee right or 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 if you go back you know Dave Meltzer would probably reference Dallas. Dallas it's something like that it's like a it's a family drama centered around the head honcho right just like Yellowstone's a family drama centered around Kevin Costner's character and then everybody gets pulled into that orbit and then everybody has their own little intricate details of their character and then they get pulled into it and then the wrestling matches are secondary right the wrestling matches that they've had other than, you know, obviously the the tag team title match at WrestleMania was fantastic five stars. I agreed with that. And then, of course, Roman and, and Sammy had their great match. Roman and Cody had a really good match. But for the most part, what people are actually remembering are the moments that are surrounding those matches. Sami Zayn finally turning on Roman. Um, Jey Uso finally turning on Roman. And, and all of that and the different plot points that they have. There's so many different sub stories within this overall, you know, kind of. JD, did I say it right? Serialized. Was that the correct term? Because you educated me before, like, you know, the serialized thing. So we've had like different seasons of it. Right. And and I think that it's more in line with something like that, with like a Yellowstone, with like a Dallas and Yellowstone and Dallas are two of the most popular television shows of all time. And they're just these, these great family dramas that people get sucked into.
2: So JD based on the, based on the idea of story, what is the end game for this thing? Is it Roman Reigns on top of the world has to lose everything and then come back again? Like to me, what the second he turned heel, and this is even before the bloodline thing took off. My thought was, Oh, this is a way to eventually get him back as a, as a hot baby face. Like that's kind of what I yeah. think every turn is. Yeah. And so if the idea now is for a Roman, who's on top of the world, he eventually, slowly but surely, loses everything. He has nothing. And then it's his climb back to getting somewhere. Like, is that what you see the overall story is? Or can they do something different with how I'm thinking? So it depends on, it depends on what, the
0: long, what the long game is. How, like, if you're looking at this from a scholarly position, when you reach the end of the story, the character is fundamentally changed by his experiences. Right. And this is why this is why a lot of stories don't work, because, like, you'll see a lot of a lot of writers will have really good act twos. Right. But they don't stick the landing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's because they don't have that. out. they, They forget about that outlook where. The the character, your lead character, your protagonist, has to be changed by his experiences. Like and the people say, What about Indiana Jones? I'm like, no, that dude's totally changed at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. He's out for fortune and glory and at the end. He literally, by by seeing God's vengeance struck upon Nazis, learns that there's more important things in life. Right. So Roman Reigns, this thing will go down. It will work. It will be the best it could be if by the end of it there is a change to his character. Mm-hmm. whatever that means. I don't know. Maybe it goes to him being a baby face. Mm-hmm. Maybe he does have to fall down and pick himself up, but uh, I'm not, I don't like playing the prediction game. All I know is that if, if we're going to keep on this trajectory, like if we're going to follow, you know, the Robert McKee outline and, you know, your, your, your basic hero's journey format by the end of this, Roman Reigns has to be a different person than he went into it as.
2: And do you, are are there like, you just said you don't want to predict, but do you have like certain things that you want to see where you're like, ah, like I saw that too. And that's, that would be a great way for them to continue this. Or are you just kind of like, I'm just watching. Um, I don't,
0: when I'm watching a movie, when I'm reading comic, when I'm reading a book, I don't like to, I don't, I like to lose myself in what I'm doing. Right. I don't like to analyze something until after, after the fact. Uh, wrestling is different because of the way it plays out in these serialized chapters. So I'm on the ride and I'm I'll be honest with you. I don't love it. I'm not a huge fan of it, mainly because of the execution. Mm -hmm. I really like the technical. I think they're nailing the technical aspects of it. When it comes to execution, I'm not a fan. I don't like the monologuing in the ring. I don't like a lot of, I think the, a lot of the performances can be hammy from time to time. Um, I think it's very community theater in a lot of aspects from everyone but Joanna Wai. I think he's fantastic. I think Sami Zayn was fantastic. I think everybody else in their orbit is uh, rising tide lifts all ships. We'll just leave it at that. So I can look at this from a critical perspective and and take personal opinion out of it and tell you why something is working even if it's not working for me Mm -hmm. so when it comes to my personal thing i am on the ride i want to see what they do with it before i can go back and say this is what this was like i said i don't like i don't like predictions i don't like saying well this is clearly what like if you listen to our show we never do oh this is clearly what's going to happen this is going to be this and this is going to be that Mm -hmm. i've i have zero interest except for roman reigns getting pinned yeah, was, yeah. and look what happened <laughs> i'm paying for that massively
1: yeah um, well we don't like to do the prediction game because we're always wrong, wrong. every time uh, we that's do that's typically why wrong.
0: <laughs> no i i just like i kind of like just seeing where it's playing out i mean like but if just as it's strictly speaking as opposed to like by the book roman should be a different person by the end mm-hmm. of all this he should be – realistically, he should be broken and, and like, he should have nothing left, right? We should – this story should end with Roman Reigns, a broken, broken man.
1: And I the only way gonna that, that he's going to – well, the only way that he's going to be able to change is if he gets humbled. And the only way he can get humbled is by losing that title, the title. and then, of course, yeah. losing – and losing – there's two things that are the most important to him, right? It's the titles and it's it's the bloodline. He's already lost most of the bloodline Now he's got to lose the title And then he can kind of then start working his way Back up into being a a top babyface And you know one thing about Those you know Roman's very Much an anti-hero I know people want to call him A heel but he when I saw him In Wrestlemania he was the most popular guy in the Building everybody loved him right he's very He's very he's playing a heel character In the wrestling context but the people Love him so much it's like I I mentioned Yellowstone it's Tony Soprano Tony Soprano one of the most evil Characters of all time that everybody loved because, yes, he was evil and he did bad things to these people, but he loved his family right? And he did have some heart to him. He did have good in him. Well, people have, people know that about Roman Reigns. They've witnessed him have good in him. He just happens to be bad right now, but they know who he is really, right? This is a guy, this is a cancer survivor that has just been uh, in a tight knit family who is just super insecure now because he finally got the world title and he was rejected by his audience, right? And so uh, I go, go ahead, JD.
0: Oh, I love how you use the term anti-hero because that's exactly yeah. what it is. He might be the quote unquote heel, but he's not the the villain of the story because your villain is your antagonist and the antagonist's job is to stand in the way of the protagonist and the protagonist of the story is roman reigns it's all about him it's his story it's he is at the center of this universe so he isn't the good guy so to say but he is the center he is the protagonist anti-hero is the perfect term for and that's exactly what he is
1: yeah and people will say, well, maybe maybe Jay is the protagonist. No, Jay is not the protagonist. Jay is Christopher Moltisanti, right? And and Tony Soprano might choke his ass out after a car accident. Spoiler alert for those uh, people who have not watched Tony, <laughs> The Sopranos. But so it, this this whole thing revolves around Roman. It revolves, It's like his world, and he's an asshole to some members of his family. I get the feeling at one point somebody's going to attack members of his family, and he's going to come to their aid because I can beat up my family, but you can't beat up your family in mm-hmm. that. That is a big part of the, the big-time family dramas that we see on television. So what
2: – has there been an AEW storyline that has kind of captivated uh, – maybe not in this same way, but has captivated you guys? The one that I can think of that I thought was really, really well done – was uh CM Punk and, and MJF not that that was really yeah. necessary like really long term and there was a payoff in that that was a really good match well, at the same time
1: It's it's still going by the way we're not finished with that yeah. story yeah. it's coming I'm sure. like they I'm they sure. took a break from it but they're coming back to it right?
2: but are there any other AEW stories that have been that they've been telling since the beginning yeah. that you guys yeah, think has captivated uh, similarly
1: 100% Day 1 day, day 1 they started the Kenny Omega Hangman story Mm-hmm. Right, day one, they 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 uh, they both wanted the title. They end up becoming a tag team, their best friends, and then they the the whole they they go through the breakup. The you know you don't know what you got till it's gone. Video plays right, and then they go through, and then eventually you know you know Kenny gets the title. He takes it from John Moxley, but that whole thing was geared towards the eventual crowning of Hangman Adam Page. I that was like like you know you guys can correct me for my memories shot, but that was like like a year and a half story that they built from like the day one, the AEW was created. Right. Um, So like we had that. And then of course you, you mentioned the CM Punk MJF. I thought that was tremendous. That was probably the best story that they've ever done. And honestly, MJF has not been able to recapture that. He, he just really I, hasn't. Every story that he's had after that has just has not been very good to me, in my opinion. Anyway, go no, ahead, JD. I,
0: I agree with you. No, I would also say John Moxley and Kenny Omega. That's a that's yes. a double or nothing yeah. story that started with two. Because you look at what both those guys represent. You represent the guy from the WWE and the guy from Japan, right? Who are on this mm. collision course and who's whose whose stories have fundamentally crisscrossed with each other, which is what I like with AEW. It's different. WWE, oh, Roman Reigns is the is the center of the universe, right? He is Tony Soprano. AEW plays out a little bit more like pardon me for going stretching this, but it's like the X-Men. And when I say the X-Men, I'm not saying they're a team of superheroes. I'm saying the X-Men is about a group of people, right? And you have your stories that here, and here you have your A story, your B story, and your C story. And what leads into the C story feeds the B story. And what feeds the B story becomes the A story. When the A story is done, the B story bumps up, the C story bumps up, and then you create another story, right? That is what Kenny Omega and John Moxley is right now. And that's kind of what AEW does, is they have these constant interweaving mythos that bounce one another, that bounce in and off each other. And the story of John Moxley and Kenny Omega is really interesting to me because they both start off in a similar trajectory, Right. They both want to be the guy in this company because they were the guy in the other place. Now they're going to be the guy here. And then Kenny starts bowing toward being the Moxie becomes a super baby face. Now they've crisscrossed. Now they're on the opposite. So you've breathed new life into this story and it's evolved with what the two people have gone. So. What you have is not the traditional hero's journey story with the two of them. What you have is something that's a little bit more soap opera-ish. It's, it's like I said, it's, it's Chris Claremont for any people that, that read comics. It's the story of these two characters and how they interact to in the universe and where their situations put them on the, the good and evil sides. So again, I'm, I'm a character over plot guy, and this is I, I think that is the most underrated. And it's been the story that has really, in my humble opinion, driven this company from day one.
2: I told you guys that before we started that I saw the new uh, Miles Morales Spider-Man uh, animation, and I thought it's it's my favorite movie of the year. I got caught off guard with the cliffhanger, and I can't wait for the next one. I'm just like, when is it? And then uh, our our buddy the Dames in in our uh, Discord, he said, supposed to be next year March, but more than likely going to get pushed back even further. And I was like, oh, I just I was hoping it was going <laughs> to be soon because I wanted to see it. And and so the reason why I-, I brought that up. Is because JD just mentioned he he's a writer of, of comics and he's a fan of, of comics. And the thing that always fascinated me about comic books is you don't have a lot of room to tell the part of your the part of the story that that you're going to tell. So you have to do it in a simplified way that while being simple, is kind of thorough at the same time. I and mean, of course you have the pictures and you have the, the art and everything that helps in that way. And when I watched the miles Morales movie, I was just like, man, anybody can walk into this movie. I don't, I literally didn't remember all the p- bits and pieces of, of the first one. Cause I saw it when it came out and never again. And I was, I, I got, I, I came in, watch it, the setting, everything was perfect. I was like, Oh, I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, right in the zone for this story and as the movie was going on i was just amazed at how simplistic the storytelling was so that every single person in the audience knew what was going on with the characters and that is not to say that it was a shallow story it was just the way that they told the story to me was just so brilliant in the simplicity and you being a comic book guy I imagine that there are also awful comic books as, as there are great comic books, but, but what do you think it is about that art form that can be so compelling for you? uh, Someone who also writes books and what can pro wrestling learn from the simplicity of how the really good comic books tell their stories? I think one reason
0: why it feels like there's simplicity in, in this Spider-Man movie is because it's a second. It's a second movie, right? A lot of the legwork to frame these characters was already done four years ago. So we know these characters. So now we're not watching them for the first time. We're not getting to know them. We know them. We're comfortable with them. That's something that, that comics does really well is they're in a constant state of act two. Mm -hmm. Right. When I'm talking periodical comics here, I'm talking about the stuff that's been going on. Spider-Man. Spider-Man has stories since 1963. Right. With amazing fantasy 15 Peter Parker. That's the same guy, right? They've never rebooted. They've never said taken and thrown everything out. Like that origin story is his story and it's still going on. So what comics has to do is it has to find a way to keep things interesting and keep it short. And what comics does better Now than they used to in the past is like, remember I bring up the X-Men and and, and Chris Claremont is like, you'd read an old X-Men book from the eighties and and Cyclops say, well, as a Russian who has mutant power happens to be that my skin turns into metal. I feel that because the theory, everyone's issue was your first issue. And that makes for really terrible reading when you're going back and reading these things. So what comics is really leaned on is they tell their stories visually. So the words support the visuals. They don't drive the visuals, right? The story, like w- when we took classes in writing comics, you want to like you want to lean on the art. You want the art to tell the story, and the words just kind of help it along. So the idea is if you can look at the picture, the picture tells the story. Wrestling can do that very easily, right? The matches tell the stories, but mm-hmm. I I think wrestling <clears throat> treats its audience as very dumb, unlike comic. Like I think that we overdo the explanation and that people And to be fair, we've been weaned on that. We've been bred on that. We've been bred on on announcers having to sugarcoat everything and hold our hands to everything. So when we're asked to identify something on our own without being told, people kind of get all up in arms. Like, well, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. I can't figure this out. (laughs) You know, when the stuff is right there, if you pay attention, you don't need to have a Wikipedia encyclopedia open to figure out a wrestling story. Just watch
1: Right. They, the, they want to be spoon fed with a video package over after video package if, if they can't but, figure it out right away. It's, but they say they don't. That's
0: the thing is people say, yeah. I don't need I don't need that. I don't need that. And then when they don't get it, they're like, well, I don't I'm not used to this. So it challenges <laughs> yeah. their perceptions like I wish wrestling would take more from comics and be more comfortable just letting us just letting an image be itself, like laying out a little bit, letting the visuals tell the story. And not having to just uh, um, use the crutch. I think there's too much crutching going on in pro wrestling sometimes.
2: Mike, I don't know what your background is in comics. I'm not a giant comic book person myself.
1: <laughs> I, I, I've uh, I've never read a comic that was not written by J.D. Oliva. <laughs> and, that, and that was a graphic novel. <laughs> there you go. Um but you
2: you were kind of saying about the video package thing and i wanted to bring yeah. up this conversation i had with a buddy i mentioned this to john the rocket last night my friend uh we both kind of became friends because we both played video games and we were both wrestling fans and so i've known him since uh gosh since i was 13 i think so that's it's a long time and he was the one that would keep me kind of updated on, Oh, did you see what happened in WCW? And I'm like, Oh yeah, I've been watching this baseball game. Let me switch over to clash of the champions. And so he was, he was so on it when it came to wrestling. And as we got older, you know, he would still come over, you know, I was in my early twenties and had a kid and he would come over and we'd watch raw and uh, that at, at some point that fell off, but that's how closely we we were paying, paying attention. And so I saw him this past weekend and he and his grandmother, who was a hundred years old, they still watch WWE. And the reason why she enjoys it is because she can follow the stories very easily. They're sort of like soap operas to her. Mm-hmm. And so he said, How is AEW doing? And I said, Oh, you know, they're they're doing pretty good, you know, better than than most uh, you know, folks in second place. And, you know, the the ratings are, are solid and and they're making money. And he said, yeah, you know, every time I try and get into it, I get so confused that I just end up not watching the next week. And so back to sort of your idea of the serialized comics and and things just being constantly act two, I do wonder if AEW is a, a little, there's like too many things happening at once. Like I can, I can get it if there's like, two main stories and then some some backstory but it's almost like there's five or six main stories and if you miss a week of AEW you kind of fall behind and I don't know if that's what the conversation is about but that that, but I was just wondering what you guys thought because I don't I, I have to watch every single episode so I don't miss them but my buddy who is a you know he's a casual WWE fan and he wants to get into AEW but he's just like man this is a lot of work
1: Well, yeah, I don't see it being a lot of work. But so I think one of my knocks on AEW early on was, you know, I think there was one episode where I counted like 75 different pieces of talent was on that episode (laughs) early on is because they had they had signed up so many people and they wanted to make sure they got so many people on the television that really they just kind of oversaturated the show with so many different stories happening all at once. Right. It was very much like um, it was it was like crash TV, but it wasn't garbage like Vince Russo was doing. Right. Um, so that that was like the early stages of the dynamite as Tony Khan started to kind of figure out how to book and how to manage, manage talent and the manage the personalities and yada, yada, yada. And then eventually he's got to a point where he wasn't having everybody on every single TV show. Right. Miro didn't work for a year. Right. So he, 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 he actually would keep guys off of TV for a while. Um, and. Uh, But I think what we've seen since the beginning of the year, and then I would say even more here lately, I think they've started to slow down some of their stories. Um, And they're not exactly beating you over the head with it, but I think they're starting to tell them in a way that WWE fans might appreciate a little bit more now. Like, and especially if you watched what happened on dynamite this week and last week with the MJF Adam Cole storyline, I mean, that is clearly being written by a failed WWE writer and Jimmy Jacobs. Like, that's absolutely that guy, right? And I knew they were bringing that guy over from Impact. I, as soon as I heard there was a writing team coming, I was like, well, they're going to bring over Jimmy Jacobs because Jericho loves that guy. And if you take a look at what's going on between Adam Cole and MJF, it's essentially the Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho story. You know how, you know the outcome, right? You already see the outcome, but they're just stringing you along and doing funny bits the whole way until we eventually get to the outcome that we all know is going to happen, right? So I, I think they're trying to apply some of that WWE style to their television show and to the way that they promote their um, their feuds and their, their characters and stuff like that while still having prop- the best matches on weekly TV that you can find anywhere in North America right and i think that's how they're trying to balance some of that stuff out while collision being the more meat and potato stuff but if somebody if somebody told me that it was really hard work to to get into AEW i'd say you probably don't know what hard work is cuz i find it to be very easy to like AEW AEW is a party every single week it is the dynamite's usually the funnest show of the week Right. And now they're starting to add in some of the community theater that I didn't want that I was sick of in WWE. Now they're starting to add into it. Right. Uh, to appeal to guys like that who like, hey, these two guys are fighting. But why? I don't quite understand because nobody's beating me over the head with it. Right. Um, and so um, then look, and, and here's another thing. Look, not everything has to appeal to everybody. Right. I know some people get upset when AEW doesn't appeal to the casual fan that doesn't really care about their show. I'm fine with that. I want AEW to appeal to me. Right. Cause that's the person that I care about the most as far as my television viewing habits go. Right. If it appeals to me, I think that's fantastic. And I don't care if it doesn't appeal to other people. I love that. Mike. I love that. <laughs> um, I'm
0: going to keep my comic book analogy going. I compared AEW to the X-Men. If mm-hmm. you were to pick up a random issue of the X-Men tomorrow, you would have no idea what's going on.
1: So how you.
2: far back How far back do you have to kind of go to figure out where they're at? <laughs> 1982?
0: Like, I'm, I'm serious. No, actually, yeah, probably 1982. Um, like, here's, here's reality, right? No television, no serialized television program that you jump into in the middle do you know what's going on? Our good friend Kela loves General Hospital, right? Mm-hmm. I see her tweet about it all the time. If I were to watch G-H, General, Ho- if I were to watch General Hospital tomorrow, Cold, I would have no idea what anybody is doing. Mm-hmm. I would have no idea who these people are, what they want, what their motivations are, what their goals are. I would have to watch multiple episodes in a row to understand it. Which is also how what wrestling was when I started watching yeah. in the nineties. I didn't know what yeah. anything was. I put out an episode of WCW Cold, and they were doing the King of Cable tournament. In 1992, I didn't know who that was. I recognized Sting because WCW had a comic book and he was on the cover, right? I watched the show. I became invested in it, right? And I just, there's no TV show. Like I love Game of Thrones, one of my all time favorite shows, right? Super deep continuity, super deep. If you didn't watch for moment one, you were going to be lost. And either either that would intrigue you to follow forward or you would do something else. And I think that because WWE has these tremendous successes right now, they're doing better than literally everything on television. We expect AEW. Why aren't you doing that too? And mm-hmm. the closer you try to follow the leader, the less you become the alternative, right? So I like that the programs are different. Like I like that I have to pay attention and I don't get stories being on my head and stuff. That was, like I, said, I mentioned, Moxley and Omega. That is not the driving. Like it's the lifeblood of the show, but it's not something you get beat over the head with every week, right? It comes in, it comes out. If you watch the show, like, hey, I remember this. Hey, I know this. Watching AEW is more akin to watching regular TV. Are watching regular comics because no other TV show does, does the narrative stop and someone look at the camera, and go, I'm so-and-so. This is what I like to do. These are my motivations <laughs> and my goals. This is how I feel about this. Like, mm-hmm. no, we don't expect that from any other form of television, but WWE has done that for 40 years and wrestling. We, we think wrestling should be like that, right? People want it because they're comfortable with it. Spoon fed to them like that. And if that's what you like, that's fine. Right? That's totally cool. And it's okay to say something isn't for me. The, you know, the, I'm a you know, writing guy. I love writing. The number one writer at the end of the last century and the beginning of this century is Stephen King,
2: mm-hmm. right?
0: Not everybody loves Stephen King, right? If you're not into the idea of an cl- interdimensional clown from outer space who's going to eat children every 27 years, probably not going <laughs> to appeal to you. But he's a multi-multi-millionaire and the sixth most successful writer in
2: two centuries now. So the, I think the other thing is our attention spans are much shorter and not because we are dumber. It's because we have options. (laughs) We have so many more options to turn to like, imagine AEW going like, wow, we really have like five minutes to hook this person because if we don't, Then they're gonna turn on Max, and they're gonna watch John Muse's favorite show Banshee, or they're gonna turn on Peacock, and you know there's there's always brand new shows. Like you have so many options for content that it's almost like if you uh, the way that we all perceive content is that it's not that valuable because I can turn on uh, there's a new show on Peacock called uh, based on a true story. It's like this idea of people who really love true crime podcasts and they, you know, they they kind of get into this true crime story. I'm only on episode one, but I watched like the first 10 minutes of it. And then I had to go do something else. And I haven't gone back to that show yet. I don't value the content on Peacock as like, oh man, if I don't get back to that show, I'm wasting money on subscribing to this network because there's just other things that are in my priority list. I'll eventually get back to it, but it's not like a priority. So imagine Tony and This is not just wrestling. This is what the screen actors guild and, and, and what the, um, the, uh, the writing, the, the, the writing guild, these are the things that they have to constantly fight about, which is the Netflixification of content. Because you can just, with your thumb, scroll your remote onto something brand new, and it is almost endless. It just makes everything else sort of less valuable to to your brain. And so that is what Tony Khan is fighting. It's not just wrestling fans. It's just sort of entertainment and the competitiveness for eyeballs is, is insane right now.
1: Yeah, well, and that we, JD and I talked about it this week. You know, we we were talking about uh, AEW possibly going to twelve pay per views um, a year, right? Doing the monthly specials the way that the WWE and and Impact and the way WCW used to do it, right? And and I I I basically straight I straight up said like if they go to that model where they're doing big shows once a month, I am very likely going to be the viewer that only watches once a month the way that I do WWE, yeah, because there's just so many other things that I like on television. Right. And not only that there, I have a whole life outside of the television. I have a job. I'm getting my masters, my wife and kid and I, we like to go out and do stuff, right? I like going to the movies as well. So I have all these different interests and they're all competing for my attention all at the same time. And then not only that, because I'm kind of like addicted to my cell phone, like AEW and WWE and all the different entertainment industries have to compete with, me just mindlessly scrolling through my phone like an idiot right yeah. like they they like all of that is competition to what's ever on television that's why you know in 2001 we just did our wcw invasion of the wwf 2001 the numbers during that year is astronomical for the television watcher it's because we didn't have all these different options competing for our attention right like it like i had to watch wcw and wwf when i was a kid Today I don't really have to watch these shows and I can watch them on demand or I can watch them on DVR or I can you know stream them at a later date right I I I don't have to worry about it I can just fit them into my schedule whenever it's at my leisure and and that's going to be that's another thing another dynamic that people just don't really they take into account they only see the live the live television numbers and act like that's the end all be all but it really isn't cuz literally nobody really watches TV like that anymore
2: now, you mentioned this, uh, the, the Patreon episode of the Mike and JD show, which you guys have already recorded. That is yeah. going to be up uh, later today from when people listen to this. It'll be a free show on the Patreon. Oh. So hey. people people can just jump in. You guys generally do these special episodes about once a month. Mm-hmm. So there, there's one that you guys did on the uh, the Black Scorpion, which is an all-time <laughs> like fantastic memory of mine. Uh, and, and so, you know, that you guys kind of, you do your daily show or your weekly show, I'm sorry. And then you kind of deep dive into something wrestling related for the past so far, at least on these Patreon shows. So that one will be up free. You'll have to go to the Patreon site to download it. But, uh, you know, the goal is for us to try and get more people to click onto the Patreon and maybe they stick around because they like what they hear. So free show from the Mike and JD show, but I don't want to cut you off, JD, but I had to get that plug in.
0: Oh, I appreciate the free plug for, for our work. That's <laughs> that's great. But it also gets me to what I was gonna say too, because you talked about the Netflixification. I'm gonna use that. That's a great term of content. And this is this is at the core of why the WGA and SAG After are striking right now. Yeah. Is these CEOs have said, well, we want this content. We just want content. Just give us content, lots of content. They don't value what goes into the creation of that content. It's just content. Like Bob Iger was talking about Marvel. Ah, we just made too much Marvel stuff. We made we took out why it was important. Well, dude, who who asked them to make all that stuff? <laughs> Where did that come from? You want like, And this is what's going to happen with AEW, too. Zasloff is saying, hey, we want more stuff. Give us more stuff. We want more stuff. What the heck, man? Why aren't people watching? We we you, we like this. We're giving them thirty seven hours of content to watch per week. Why aren't they watching? That's your fault. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just yeah. They they've they, they this these people these mm. geniuses who make billions upon billions of dollars because they're brilliant and never make any mistakes have asked these have asked us as consumers to just constantly constantly devour this content right to the point where a comic book guy like me I say on my comic podcast every week that I'm sick of Marvel. I'm tired of it. I don't want to. Wa- I have no. I have no interest in watching Secret Invasion. I haven't watched a Marvel show in well over a year. And getting to the movies is going to be like, oh man, I really got to go see this. I-, I tweeted before the Flash, and I'm like, ugh, I don't want to be here right now. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> win. I-, I went and saw it because I had to for my podcast. Because yeah. I, a lifelong comic fan, am tired of watching comic book movies because there's too many of them, and there's nothing cool about it anymore, right? So they're creating these like. They're creating these unwinnable wars.
2: Give us all this stuff. Okay, we'll give you all this stuff. Well, you gave me too much stuff. That, that, that's fascinating that you brought it there because I didn't think about this, which is DC hired James Gunn to basically reinvent their brand, much like uh, Marvel did theirs 12 years ago or whatever that was, uh, more than that, actually. And- <laughs> The the thing about it is 15 years ago there was no real Marvel presence so Marvel is creating this content for that comic book fan and now DC is asking for this content when there is already a Marvel fan base that is over flooded with content so now you're adding more to the marketplace and someone like JD who's a lifetime comic book fan is like oh my gosh I don't want to watch any more of this so I'm assuming there's a lot of people like you and we're expecting now that DC is going to come in and do great stuff all while Marvel fans are getting frustrated with what Marvel's doing.
0: Well, with DC it's worse because it's not like they waited 15 years to start doing this. They were doing this and they failed.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So we had the deck Snyder stuff, which was remarkably polarizing. I hate, I didn't like any of it. And then they tried to reboot it and it, not really, like, soft rebooted, And, like, some stuff's been good. The Batman movie was pretty good. But, I mean, like, that's, that's kind of it, right? And now we're left in a spot where nobody knows what... This is the problem, too, is that in that world, nobody knows what counts and what doesn't. And it wasn't like people crapped on the Flash movie because it was a bad movie. They didn't go to see it. They didn't make the time to see it. So you're trying to you're trying to reintroduce stuff into a market that already has negative audience connotation mm-hmm. right like we talk about this the AEW, how do you get hot again right and that's what peter that's what peter saffron and james peter gunn peter saffron and james gunn have to figure out is how do we get how do we get this these properties that people are tired of how do we get them excited about that again when they're giving you budgets of $300 million. So, by the way, if it's not a, a remarkable blockbuster, you've failed.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Really, it's and, it's and, unwinnable. And this is uh, not only Marvel in DC. This is also Pixar. I don't know if you've seen the latest returns on... It uh... <clears throat> It died. Or coming over to like a you know a different culture than I than I've seen before. Really? I thought it was fantastic. But at the same time, when that movie costs $250 million to make for an animation, it has to do bonkers in the box office just to be considered a success. And so the less these movies are considered successes, the less some of this Pixar animation is going to be greenlit. And uh, and that's that's kind of the the issue with a lot of these these uh box office you know summer box office kind of movies uh as a whole like just they're under delivering what the expectation is and i would say that the expectation is probably way too high absolutely and yeah you know that's so they're just being set up to fail and, go ahead mike i've talked too much
1: no and i would say you no. Know, since since the pandemic um you know movies people just aren't going to the movies as often as before unless it's something extremely special right like to me indiana jones is special right like that to me that's that's my childhood so i was excited to go see the new indiana jones guess how many people were in that theater on a saturday Seven people were wow. in that movie theater on a Saturday, and this is one of the nice theaters, dude. You can get like dinner there, like they they bring it out to your table. Like I, I did it up right, like I was by myself, so I was like, "Screw it, I'm treating myself." So I went, I had a whole spread. There was seven other people in the movie theater, and this was supposed to be one of the biggest box office, um, you know, smashes, and it really underdelivered too. They spent so much money on it, thinking that they were going to get people out to the theater, and it just didn't work. And so now they got to try to recuperate it. From people, hopefully, people will want to subscribe to Disney Plus once that hits the, <laughs> the the service. But guess what? I don't, you know, people aren't going to join Disney Plus just for that, right? A lot of people already have Disney Plus. They're going to join because you're going to give them 15 other movies, right? And yeah. so, really, the 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 spending spree uh, within Hollywood is probably going to have to stop. Um, because you're, it's really difficult to get people to leave their house now, right? It, it, it really is a a fascinating thing. Um, you have to have something extremely important or extremely rare in order for people to go inside of a movie theater where the beginning scene of outbreak, you know, damn near killed the whole world, right? Two years (laughs) after a pandemic, right? You, you gotta, you gotta, you really gotta make it special like check this out in the 1980s and
0: 90s home video revolutionized the way studios can make money if a movie I worked that f- blockbuster man me I too get it me too if a movie failed at the box office it could find new life on, on home video one of my favorite movies a nightmare before christmas died to death at the box office disney had no idea how to market it they were like what is this thing how, what do we do with it turned out it found like The kids fell in love with it. A generation of kids fell in love with it on home video. Now it has a chance to learn and to become something new. So it wasn't a box office smash. It was a home video success. The game is different now, right? Everything has to be a blockbuster. That's impossible. If everything is supposed to be a blockbuster, nothing could be a blockbuster. Yep. If does, there's not enough money to go around like that. But now where these movies that failed years ago could find new life on home video, now what do these streamers do? Hey, man, we'll give you all these movies, everything you can watch, tip of your fingers, 10 bucks a month, 10 bucks mm-hmm. a month. Oh, consumers like, well, that's fantastic. 10 bucks a month. I can watch all these movies. That's absolutely great. You just said, like, how does Indiana Jones find a new audience? When they're not going there, they're not going to discover like the best part about the blockbuster, you could wander around, you discovered these movies, like Mm. discoverability is so much more difficult now. And now there's no financial incentive for these companies to do that, right? If a movie fails, they're pulling it off the streaming service. Because there is no vehicle for them to make money with it.
2: And right? then they're licensing it to some something else if they can get some
0: if they get lucky enough to do for it. it. If yeah. they get lucky enough to do
2: it. But it's just like we have we have set up a
0: system to fail. And this is kind of what SAG and Aftra and the WG are fighting against, is that there's there's no, there's no way for something to succeed anymore, right? We've we've artificially inflated these budgets. Why did Indiana Jones Week cost three hundred million dollars? It there's, it makes absolutely no sense why that movie should have been that expensive. But here we are. Now anything is a failure, right? And nothing can be successful anymore. Guardians worked, and Avatar Two worked. Mario Brothers. Everything else has been a failure. Looks like, it looks
2: year. like Barbie Spidey. will work, and <sighs> that that has. I don't think that's necessarily a surprise, but I think the, mar- the, the marketing what, campaign what, on that. Yeah. It, it was it's very that's smart. Mm-hmm. And uh I wasn't if if you told me on paper a Barbie movie, I would be like, hmm, that sounds weird, but the way oh, yeah. that the way that they're marketing it, it does actually look pretty fun and interesting. Um I know that we weren't necessarily talking wrestling, but I think Oops, the comparison of wrestling with the rest of entertainment that is like that's the competition it's not just WWE versus AEW tony khan is coming into this ecosystem of having to deliver content against so much more competition than ever and mike said something about you know his phone as competition i don't think people even think about that i subscribe to uh substacks and sort of that kind of written content you know, I don't it's not as many as I do for the, you know, the television streaming services, but it, it's a fair amount. And uh, my my most used app is actually a sports news writing app called The Athletic. I use that more than anything else. And that is also 10 bucks a month. So it's mm-hmm. com- competing against all of this stuff just to kind of feed our entertainment. And uh, and so, you know, I think AEW's is doing a really good job. Uh, of fitting into the marketplace and actually creating a spot that hasn't existed since WWE and W-E- WCW were were competing against each other. There's been no room for a real number two since WCW died. And for AEW to just kind of be like, Hey guys, we're just going to kind of zoom in here and we're going to do some stuff. And now they're firmly planted as uh, a company that WBD uh, WBD can depend on, for not only weekly content, but weekly content times three yeah. In, in a television market that is losing eyeballs faster than it's ever in, in, in life, in, in our lifetime, right?
1: Yeah, well, and I, I think, so one of the struggles that AEW is going to find is that um, the audience is not asking for this extra content. They're <laughs> yeah. just not. I mean, because... There's
2: going to be a tipping point. I don't know if it's right. here or coming, but that there is a typical It's point.
1: not like it's not like dynamite was getting so popular that they needed to add you know, collision. That just wasn't the case. The 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 people that are asking for the more content are the content providers or, or the content buyers. That's who's asking for the more content. It, it's really gonna. It would really work best if the audience grew so much that you're like, you know, we can't feed them. We have to feed them more because they keep asking for more. But nobody was really asking for more than what they were already providing. Um, and now they're gonna get into, you know. Providing more pay-per-views, and so now they're like, "Hey, look, the audience isn't really asking to give you guys more money, right?" But now you're going to start asking them for for more money. We're we're going to do the 12 pay-per-views a year, possibly, unless they all go to max, which we don't know if that's going to happen. And then now we got all in coming up at, at Wembley, and then a week where they're going to be shelling out, asking for the audience for 50 bucks, right? And then the following week they got all out, where they're asking the audience for another 50 bucks, right? I I apparently there might be a discount coming. I I don't know, but it only like like. Um, if you're starting to sell, like, so say you have like a, a, a video store, right? And you start selling out all these tapes, right? And you're constantly, you can't keep the tapes on the shelf. Well, what should you do? You should buy more of those tapes, right? To make sure that you have enough on the shelf for everybody. That's not really what's happening here, right? Like these numbers are not exploding to an astronomical level where you feel the need to to feed people more. You're just creating content for the sake of creating content. It's,
2: it's there. It's in their business plan. If the money yeah. If the money is there, you take it because it, you you create uh you know less risk in that way by having more more and you know more more involvement with with the company that mm-hmm. they trust you and so but you're hundred percent right. Uh, Dave Meltzer and I talked about this on Wrestling Observer Radio in that who knows what is really going on? Like I'm sure Andrew's story is probably pretty right on. But we don't know the nooks and crannies. Now, the thing that I suggested was: could could the BR app? Uh, could they give all in for free, with the idea that we are going to push all out through all in? Now, all all in is kind of becomes like the all out hype show to get more people to, to buy. I don't know if they could do that because it's still there's still costs involved into putting that show on on a streaming app. Uh, there is bandwidth that you also need. you don't know how many people are gonna hit the thing. so that could be a costly experience for free. but I just think if you are if you are selling two shows back to back, it kind of adds to what you were saying, Mike, where it's the all of this new content and now you are making your fans possibly choose between one or the other and aew fans have not had to do that yet.
1: Yeah. And and the choice, the choice might be simple for American fans. They're probably gonna go buy the one that's happening uh in America on American time, right? Like it's gonna be in prime time in the states. That's probably the one that they're gonna go with.
2: I know you have some thoughts, JD. I think
0: this is a disaster. I really do. Um, You know, we're kind of in in the loop. where We hear rumors and stuff like that. I think a lot of people have been hoping that 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 AEW follows WWE's path and puts their their PLEs, we would call them on max. So I think we've all kind of hoped that. And then um when this I, I got real upset when because I bought my tickets to all out that's in Chicago, yeah. like I yeah. go every year, it's down the street from where I grew up or used to be. Now they moved into the city. So I'm going like, I'm taking my kid there. That's what we're going to do. The fact that I'm being asked to pay a full price pay-per-view the week before. Right. I find be as a consumer upsetting to be quite frank. I think that you are, and I get it. You trying to maximize as much out of me as possible. And I don't like having an adversarial relationship with these companies, but I feel like I'm being put into that spot. And like, It makes me not, I mean, like, and then I thought today, I don't buy that the infrastructure isn't there to support streaming live sports because they do it with, they've done it with soccer. Mm -hmm. Mexico's HBO max or Mexico's max is streaming triple mania this weekend. Mm -hmm. They have the infrastructure. What I, I mentioned this before to you. And I'm like, I think what they want is the infrastructure to charge us more for it through max, not through BR. And that's kind of, that's a conspiracy theory that I'm, holding out to because i think they may want to go the ufc route yeah have ESPN to... plus month. yeah which i'm like oh so now you want me to pay extra money i gotta pay a monthly subscription so i can buy your show and that just makes me want to not do these things legally quite frankly
2: the uh the the benefit of the doubt that i want to give the max uh tech is that i don't know exactly how those experiments went. I haven't had anybody who told me they watched those matches to say how good the experience was. It's possible. It was just an experiment. They were like, Hey, can we physically do this without breaking the website or breaking the app? Because Netflix tried that with love is blind. They did a a live reunion and it broke. It didn't work for like 45 (laughs) minutes. They did one with Chris Rock, the stand up, and it was it was generally fine. I know some people had issues. So a lot of this is, you know, can we do this via the tech that we have? And and uh, can, but also, can we do it on a dependable level? Because the one good thing about pay-per-view, right, is pay-per-view doesn't fail. Pay-per-view maybe the that the one time pay-per-view failed for me was Conor McGregor against uh who did Conor McGregor fight when he broke his leg? Was it Poirier?
1: Poirier, Poirier. So yeah. that fight, I was
2: pressing the button to get in and I couldn't get in because so many people had flooded the thing and it kind of killed the <laughs> ability. If I was smart, I would have done it the morning of the show instead of 5 minutes before, but like that was one of the ones that I that I couldn't actually see because of the the, the tech, but there are issues like that where, you know, I don't think a million people are going to want to watch all in, but you have to sort of build the tech and the infrastructure to support a live product, which I imagine is infinitely harder than the current way that they do business.
1: It, I, I feel like you're being very nice. Uh, yeah, I feel like Wonder that Brothers too. Discovery is one of the biggest conglomerates in the world, right? They have more money than the federal government. I think they could figure this out. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know, that's e, just but even Netflix, <laughs> who is
2: uh I, from from a success metric they kill everything yeah that is on warner brothers right and they uh, did it on a on a smaller scale with uh, love is blind and they couldn't perform it so if you're telling me that you've done a hundred experiments and it has worked 99 times then i go <laughs> okay it's probably gonna work but if you did it twice and it didn't work one time. You got a 50-50 shot here, and you're more than
1: likely going to fail. A lot of people. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if Vakingo and Kenny Omega this weekend <laughs> uh, uh, doesn't break it. But
0: <laughs> any like I, I did some research on this. The people who did watch the soccer games on on Max did not say did not have any negative to say about it. So it has it has worked. And to your point, if they are to do something, if they are to run a grand experiment, then they better give it away for free. Yeah. yeah. Right yeah if, if that, would be, like, that would be yeah. the experiment that would be the experiment right that would be like because again it can be done peacock's doing it right and this is we're talking about discovery warner we're talking about the discovery channel hbo tnt i mean they have these are companies that have been broadcasting live sports for decades right so it's not like they don't know what big like netflix has no had no background no. In doing anything live, so for them, and this the, was they're anti-sports, yeah, at this, yeah, point, at this yeah. point that might change. And, but I and mean,
1: like, the love, the love is blind was very much kind of a test thing. Uh, and it, it obviously they probably underestimated just how popular that was going to be. But they, they prepared and they got the Chris Rock one out there, and that one worked out pretty well. Um, and you knew that was live because Chris Rock actually messed up a joke <laughs> in the middle <laughs> yes, of it. His punchline <laughs> on Will Smith, he messed up his own yeah. punchline and then he reset it. And then when you go back and watch the actual they, they, on-demand they, they, they. feed, they, 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 the one that I saw, they kept it in there. Oh, so did they keep it in there? They kept the live one, Yeah. <laughs> and the joke was tremendous, but the fact that he messed it up on the live thing was great because I don't think I, other than being live in person, I don't think I'd ever actually, you know, seen like live on television other than you know Tonight Show and stuff like that. But this was like a live one-hour comedy special um, without a safety net, and I thought it was actually awesome. And you know, he, I may be. A little
2: more weary about this than uh, than some, because I've ha- actually had this experiment—not uh, this experiment, this experience—in a little bit of a different way. So, my company next door, when we were first starting out, we started out very slow. We we created this website, we invited specific neighborhoods to join, so we were kind of going slow and slow and slow. And we had this great opportunity because twenty twenty wanted to do a story on us. And so we're like, okay, war room. Can you know what is the expected engagement that comes off of this story? How many hits to the homepage are we going to get? How many people are we going to get who want to sign up to join our website? And so, you know, you do a lot of testing and sort of figuring that out. And then when D Day comes, the website could not capture. The information, so we missed out on a giant opportunity for ourselves, and you 're talking about a company in the Silicon Valley with engineers who were you know from Stanford and Harvard and all you know all these great places, and still we underestimated the hit to the servers that it was it was going to take, so that was our you know, experiment on how to right. do this. And, and then you sort of figure that out. You go, okay. And then the next time you have this big, this big free media, this big free PR event, you go, okay, now we got to over index for this so that the mm-hmm. next time we, it, we, just, we are just overly prepared so it doesn't fail. And you sort of kind of build up in, in that way. So if I was HBO Max and you really, really wanted to do this, AEW is a great experiment, but at the same time, If it doesn't work, the uh, wrestling fan base is also kind of uh, nasty at times, and, and that could be bad. So. They
1: are, but you know, in the early days of the WWE Network, they had a lot of problems, right? Uh-huh. And they worked through them, and the fans stuck around. And then, same with Peacock. When WWE went to Peacock, there was a lot of glitches. A lot of the inf- the um, the um, interface wasn't working properly and stuff like that. You're gonna have you uh, and you know, what? and you, you brought up UFC earlier. UFC on ESPN in the early days at ESPN Plus. There there were a lot of glitches. There were a lot of problems. I was watching it wasn't the Poirier pay per view. I watched a different pay-per-view in the beginning of the ESPN on uh, or UFC on ESPN plus and um it, it actually had a lot of problems, right? But the people will stick with it. Um I, I think Yes, they'll tweet mean things, um, but I think in the end they will end up sticking with it. And then, of course, All In would be a perfect one because that's going to be happening like on a Saturday afternoon <laughs> yeah. when most people aren't watching anyway. Huh. They'll likely just watch it on demand later that night. I think, you know, kind of like a lot of people did with Money in the Bank that happened in London recently, where you had yeah a good portion of the people watched it live, but there are folks like me that waited until like normal wrestling time to to end up watching it
0: i think mike's right i think this is the i think it's an experiment that you have to at least try and if you fail it's right like it's not like br works perfectly every time people order off it no right there's every time there's a pay-per-view people are like ah br sucks because it
2: does yeah so i mean i I would choose pay-per-view if i had the opportunity but i don't have a cable system anymore so if i i I am going to get it through br because i'm having friends over so it'll be if it doesn't work people are going to be mad Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, if it
1: doesn't work, just text me, Garrett. (laughs) Yeah, we'll figure out a way.
2: All right. um, No, this was a fantastic conversation, and I had only written down a couple of things because I knew we were going to take it in in a very entertaining and educational and thoughtful way. But I did want to save a few minutes to talk about you guys because you guys have come on this network in your new form in the Mike and JD show. And I think people have really eaten, eaten up the show. They really love it. It's almost like... I, I and Mike and I had this conversation on the Patreon, but the idea of like, how would you do like a morning show with that mentality and, and then t- just talk about wrestling and, and entertainment? And I think you guys have that, that like chemistry, the friendliness, the partnership that people feel like these are my guys, right? And that's how most radio teams, the best radio teams of all time, that's what people think, right? We, when we talk about Brian and Dave, I've been listening to Brian and Dave do audio since. 1999 or when 2000 or whenever Eada mm-hmm. started, uh, Howard Stern and Robin Quivers, even before then. Uh, Mike Mike mentioned this on the Patreon, Adam and Dr. Drew, like late 90s, like those teams, they sort of become like your best friends. And I think, you know, if we can, not that we're comparing ourselves to these giant successful acts, but on a small scale, on our scale, I think you guys have done a really good job at that. And the people really feel like they know you guys, which and so the the question is, when you guys are doing the show, and and JD, we'll start with you, in your mind, are you just talking to your buddy, Mike? Or do you sense that there's an audience and you need to be entertaining or you need to say something like, are you thinking of bits to say three days before the show starts? Once in a while, I'll have an idea for
0: something and I'll text Mike, hey, I got an idea. And I, we rarely ever do it, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, Honestly, I don't have a, I'm not a radio guy. Like I don't have a background in this stuff. So um, I'm just talking to my buddy, right? I don't think about, and because a lot of times we'll just, try things yeah right like yeah. we were getting crap in one of not our discord but another discord sounds like 41 minute money the bank preview i'm not listening to that <laughs> and i'm I like well we were trying something to see if it was going to work on youtube like we'll do stuff like that but i mean yeah. ultimately it's just like mike and i talk and mike do mike's the captain of the ship i just i'm i'm his wacky co-host so you know what i mean i just kind of come along and kind of go with the flow of things so I, for me i just i'm just talking to my buddy it's i talk to mike like twice a week and like, this is uh, it's my chance to hang out with my friend,
2: but you Mike.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's very much the same. Like I, I do plan a little bit, but I don't really plan bits, but I do, I have like bullet points because I need to keep the show on track because mm-hmm. if I don't, we can just go oh, off oh. of the rails oh, and, easily. Not, <laughs> and not, and not even cover a percentage of the topics that are happening throughout the week. So I do keep the bullet points and then there's going to be some time, like I have a bullet point written out. That JD, like, JD has access to the notes, but he's not really, like, he doesn't do a ton of prep for the show. He just kind of likes to fly by the seat of his pants, which I think that's what works. So I will have a bullet point in there, and I will say it, and I know it's going to set him off. Or I know, like, I just know in my head, if I say this, it's either going to make him mad, or he is going to laugh his ass off, and it's going to happen. But there's no there's no like planned bits, right? There's no planned jokes or anything. It's really just us riffing off of each other. Like a lot of times that people are, have, um, really liked my transitions, right? Like, Hey, speaking of this and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, speaking of sucks, PCO would just come out, you know, something like that. (laughs) Like, like I, I, you know, that is just a very natural, like, this is just the way that I talk. Like, if you work with me, Right. And you're like in um, where I work. It's kind of like it's me and my flight commander. And then we have two other like a junior officer and a junior non-commissioned officer that kind of works with us. That's kind of how we're we are all day we're telling jokes we're busting balls we're getting shit done um we have a plan of action for the day but we attack it and we have fun doing it and really they'll say something to me and i always have a really quick comeback and i don't know if it was just something that i was born with or what but i always have like no matter what happens i can think of a funny thing to say about just about anything and i typically do it pretty quickly and jd has that has that within him too right we don't really need to plan out bits we don't practice bits we don't have sketches we don't we don't do any of that stuff we just have fun and we're like we're just two dudes talking about our favorite hobby um, yeah. And we like to bring the audience in on that fun as well. And we like to have guests on and bring them in on the fun. And I like to make the guests a little bit uncomfortable, right? So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. so, does, J- so does JD, <laughs> poor Scott E. Wrestling. I was introducing <laughs> Scott E. Wrestling one time and I was like, he's, he works for fight game. He works for Russell uh, wrestle purist. He's working for voices of wrestling and, and JD out of nowhere goes, yes, yeah, Scott's kind of a whore. And, and <laughs> I just, I lost it. And, like we, This was our first time meeting Scott. We hadn't even met Scott. Scott. Scott at this point. Oh, wow. And then, and then we had John Muse on for the first time. We've been working on muse for six months, right? Like this was a guy we've been trying to get him for six months and it's not that he was refusing to do it. It's just schedules just weren't aligned. Yeah. He's a busy, he's
2: a busy guy with his job. The
1: the guy's, the guy's got a really serious job and he's also got a gig with baseball and he does a lot of stuff. Right. So we're, we're work. We have a group chat. We're working on getting him for six months. I almost blow the thing within 10 seconds. Because I immediately bring him on and I go, and Dave Meltzer's favorite booker, John Hughes, <laughs> And he goes, holy shit. What <laughs> so, but I, I you know, we, we like to do stuff like that. We like to pick on each other. We like to pick on our guests. We do it in a fun way and we bring everybody and we pick on Garrett when he's not even on the show. Garrett's ain't been on the show, but he's the boss. So you naturally, you got to poke at the boss.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm ultimately the. Like antagonist of of every show, <laughs> I, I hear that a lot. Um, yeah. But it's it's an easy sort of mysterious character in a sense. Uh, but mm-hmm. okay, so let's end this with kind of a serious question here because uh, none of us, we none of us are reporters. Technically, we hear stuff. We have friends who know stuff. Yeah. We have connections of people who know things, but we ourselves are not in there. Uh, talking to people in the know and actually uh, figuring out whether or not this report is true or not. Now we just went from a time in which the president of the United States was a fan of misinformation and I'm not talking about Joe Biden. So it almost became casual for people in social media To just say the the craziest stuff because there was nobody to check them. If nobody is going to check the president, then who cares what I say? Like, let's just get wild and crazy and and let's just misinform people. And I always think about that time frame when we're doing these shows because, you know, the stuff that that we say, it could be 100% right on the day that it is told to us. And then it kind of changes and things that we may say just turn out to be false. Um, as you guys talk about uh, rumors or if you have hot takes on the topic of the day, such as this idea that AEW All In is going to pay-per-view. We don't know that for truth. None of us have an angle to send Tony Khan. Con- I mean, I I can send him an email, but he's not going to reply. Um, but we don't have that connection. So we're going off of what somebody else says. Uh, how do you guys deal with this idea of the hot take or the rumor or whether or not or how responsible we are for actually what we are telling the audience? And, Mike, since you're kind of the yeah. leader of the ship, I'll let you go first.
1: So you you can't be afraid to eat shit, right? And sometimes you have to take chances. What I won't do is I'm not a journalist, and I'm not talking to people myself. I'm only talking about stuff that's already in the news. Mm-hmm. So what JD and I do, we're not breaking stories. We're not investigative reporters. Some what we a lot of times what we're talking about, if it's like a specific story, we've probably known about a little bit over the over like a couple of weeks span, and then it's finally hit the news waves and it's typically broken by Dave or it's broken by Sean Ross Sapp or Andrew Zarian or Mike Johnson. Like that's the big four, right. Of the guys that are breaking these stories right now for us. Uh, and, and you know, who's getting really good as Joe Lanza, actually Joe Lanza for voices of wrestling is doing a great job with that too. But so, guest, so those guest are the, of,
2: uh, the Mike
1: and JD show. Joe yes. Lanza. Yeah. Yeah. Our, one of our guests, right. Great guy. Um, so we, we're talking about the new stories that they're breaking. And if we hear something kind of like to, to add a little bit of context, we 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 don't like outright say this is exactly what it is, yada, yada, yada. But and I'll give you a perfect example of when we had to eat shit, the the television deal for AEW, the billion dollar deal we it, we didn't break the story because we're we we do not do that but it was out wade keller had just talked about it mm-hmm. so we felt comfortable as i like, hate keller's talking about it they were talking about on voices of wrestling um somebody had asked dave on wrestling observer radio i can't remember if it was you or brian so the conversation's out there so yeah. jd and i went it's like yeah the conversation's out there and we think it's we think it's going to happen right without and we didn't really say it as if we were reporters we said Hey, we th- we're we're all in on this deal. We think this is gonna happen and yada yada yada. And that was probably our mistake was being so absolutely sure that this was going to happen. So then a couple weeks later, when nothing really happened, <laughs> we had to then go back onto our our podcast. And I think I, I think that um, a lot of times when a reporter makes a mistake or like the New York Times when they make a mistake, the 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 the, the misinformations on the front page but the is on the back page, right? <laughs> my philosophy is, you know, what fail, you know, um, you know, success has a hundred fathers and fathers and failures an orphan that does, that shit doesn't work with me. I'm very much about accountability. Mm-hmm. So if I go out there and I say something that ends up not being true, I feel like I owe it to my audience to then go and say, Hey, here's what happened. This, look, I, I heard this. I'm not a guy that makes shit up. Um, this is who I really am. You guys know me. We heard this. It just hasn't happened. Right. And so we we put this out there and it just for whatever reason, we have no idea why. And then we take that serious tone and then we follow it up with busting our own balls and making (laughs) fun of ourselves and, and laughing at the fact that we had to eat shit on something because at the end of the day. I'm not, I'm not breaking the Pentagon paper story, right? Yeah. yeah. Like we're talking about a television deal for a pro wrestling company. What we talk about is stupid on the surface of everything, right? We don't cover serious subjects, right? So we, we talk about superficial crap. So when we are wrong about something or, or if we have a hot take that turns out to be wrong, we have to be willing to admit that we are wrong and then eat shit and have fun at our own expense.
0: Yeah. I think Mike's right. I mean, um, i was gonna say having zero credibility really helps with that. yeah yeah <laughs> you know? yeah yeah
1: nobody comes at us for investigative journalism
0: because <laughs> it's not what we are right um you know documentary film world like you know it's it's really about you have your message and you shape your message right it isn't necessarily about telling all sides of the story and i think we have a we have an entertainment show you know um And like I said, Mike, we, we take the piss out of ourselves all the time. Like Mike started, Mike started this, not this last episode, the episode before that with a clip to remind people that I had made a stupid bet (laughs) and that I had to own up to that bet. I mean, we're, wrong, we're wrong all the time. I think the key, I think the thing, when it comes to accountability, you know, as a teacher and a coach, you know, we tell the kids, Hey man, when you mess up, it's on you, you messed up. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, like, you don't get better unless you mess up. Like, when, from a wrestling point of view, like, if I'm not trying to score points. I'm not going to win, right? If you just stand there and don't do anything, which in our case would just be not talking about things that are cool or not talking about things that people want to engage with, what are we doing, right? And if we're wrong, we we'll say, screw that one up, you know, then we make fun of each other and we move on to the next thing that we'll be wrong about.
2: Yeah. 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 And, you know, when I when I mean misinformation, I don't mean, you know, Joe Rogan bringing on people who are saying, you know, coronavirus is not real and stuff like 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 what Mike said, we're not doing something that is utterly important to the survival of human beings. We're just like talking (laughs) shop. But but talking shop sometimes can take on a little bit of bad faith. And that's not what we do. We're having fun, but we're not. You know, trying to make people feel bad for liking something or for believing in something.
1: Well, no, and and, you know, go pe- ahead, Mike, sorry. The, sometimes, sometimes there's people out there that will take what you say and purposely put it out of context and try to make it say that you're, you're this right. And that happens to a lot of guys who try to be funny. It's happening to comedians all the time yep. where they're, they're on stage and they're telling a joke about something ridiculous. And then an audience member will then quote that and saying, Hey, this person really believes this. And then all of a sudden it gets printed somewhere else. Yep. And then, and then a whole thing gets blown up. It ha- happened to one of my favorite comedians, Joey Diaz. It happened to him. Right. And, and it's like, um, you know, I, you can't, you can't be afraid of stuff like that. So if what we say is starting to get to where people were going to take what we say out of context and then try to lie about us and our intentions, I just don't care. <laughs> I, you know, you know, cause like, I, I feel, I, I feel a, um, I feel like I'm accountable to my audience and to the people that support us and the fans of the show to be myself and to yep. do my best job and to tell my jokes and to give my takes. And if some people want to get offended by that or if some people want to take it out of context and make it to be something that it's not, that's okay. That's that's on them, right? There are people that have been mean to us in YouTube comments, and I welcome Ooh. it. Bring it on. <laughs> I do not care. I got thick skin. You, dude, Guys, I've been to war. You, there's yeah. nothing that you guys can say that's really going to affect me. But if it gets to a point where I just can't say anything, right? To where we're like, it's, it's like, you know what? Like, uh, look, this isn't paying my mortgage, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, we find we so, find a, a new medium yeah, when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. No problem.
2: I, I have never met
0: an argument that I wasn't willing to have, right? Yeah. So uh, I'll, if I feel like I'm right about something, I'll argue it to the death. But at the same time, I mean... Who cares? Right. Like, this is, we talk about wrestling, man.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's wrestling. 100%. Hey, this was awesome. I'm really glad uh, you guys were available tonight because I, you know, in the back of my mind, this show is kind of the end of the week for me. And then it all starts again. Well, sometimes it starts again on Sunday if I'm talking 49ers, but like, it's kind of like a way for me to just sort of, end my week of all of these podcasts that I do and I kind of get a little bit anxious come Wednesday, Thursday, if I don't really know what I'm going to do on this show. So when I reached out to Mike, cause Mike and I had talked and Mike's like, I don't have anything to do all week. And I'm like, okay, in the back of my mind, <laughs> Mike and I can do something. And then I, I don't remember, I think it was Spider-Man. I literally think it was going to see Spider-Man. And I was like, I have to have JD on cause this Spider-Man thing, like it just, got me thinking about other creative stuff as it relates to to uh, other other entertainment so really appreciate you guys jumping on here uh, you kind of saved my butt as far as this show is concerned so uh, you guys just put your show out earlier on Friday morning check out download Mike and JD show if you haven't yet uh, and hopefully you enjoyed this and like I said on uh, later today uh, go to patreon.com front slash fight game media and you'll be able to hear their uh their Patreon special episode on the uh, invasion. The is is it the invasion
1: angle? The yeah. WCW invasion of the WWF. So, uh, real quick, just to sell it to your audience. Um, so we actually we actually start from January of 2001 and we go through the observers all the way through the invasion pay-per-view. Um, and the reason why I stopped there is because I had already had nine to 10 pages of notes at this point, <laughs> just dealing with the, the, the almost sales to fusion media, the, the eventual sale to to Vince McMahon and going into what was supposed to be a WCW relaunch, the WCW Raw era that was supposed to happen. We go through the whole thing and I had to stop at that pay-per-view because if I didn't, it would have been a six-hour episode uh, and it's really late where JD is at whenever we record. So we had to cut it off. So what we're going to do is next month, so the the audience is going to get this for free. We're going to give you a little bit of taste of it. We're going to give you just a taste, just a taste, just a taste. And then you're going to get hooked and then what you're going to do is you're going to go to your pocket book you're going <laughs> to dig down into your seat cushions you're going to 5 five dollars and then next month we're going to give you part two where we go from after the invasion pay-per-view all the way through survivor series 2001 and then the monday night raw afterwards where rick flair shows up which is the the act the actual end of the 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 invasion of the wwf so that's what we're going to do
2: there is an observer i think it's coming in your research where dave Meltzer does the whole I don't like fantasy booking, but here's how I would have done the, the, uh, ECW WCW invasion thing. Let me know when you get there. Cause I remember reading that when it happened and, uh, so let me know the date because I want to read that yeah. again.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I, I I will. And then, you know, I think we're we're gonna work on Muse. We we maybe we need to come at him as like a triad and try because he, <laughs> you know, he was he played a little bit of part of before uh-huh. the sale, right? Uh-huh. Um, and he also had a really good idea for how to book that and I'd like to see what Dave wrote about how he would book it. And I would really like to hear his thoughts now on that. Um, that would be awesome.
3: Yeah, I, that'd be
2: amazing.
0: I bug John about this because we literally talk to John every day. Yeah, Like yeah. like Mike and I literally talk to him every day. So I would love to have John tell his story of his, like it's like mythical at this point in, in wrestling circles. Have you seen, the, the, has the, he sent it sh- to you? Has he sent uh, the, the, the Jericho thing to you? I can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> that I have seen it, but I I know about it. I know more than the average bear. So I would love to hear, I would love to have people listen to kind of what could have been in an alternate universe and tell me, that Stephanie McMahon book better than my friend John because it's not true.
2: <laughs> I had an idea for a project that I reached out to John about, and it just did not fit in the timeline of all the things that I had to start doing. The idea was to uh, watch the, the TV and... Um, go over his storylines and sort of how, he, how he was going to do the, this sort of thing versus how they did it. And we were going to kind of compare and contrast. And I, it's something I still want to do and I want to involve him in that way because I think he's a, he's a really smart guy Yes, and, and we just never had a chance to do it. So hopefully um, at some point I can, but yeah, that, that whole thing is fascinating to long time wrestling observer readers and wrestling observer radio listeners. John Muse is like a mysterious character in the universe of of, of those uh, of the written and and the the audio shows because Meltzer would just bring him up as if we all knew who he was <laughs> and just act like, yeah, you guys know John Muse and the X, Y, and Z. And he did this, this, and this. And it would be like, I don't know, once a year, he'd just bring this name up. John's like, who's this mythical guy? And then I, you know, finally got to meet him when, when he started coming to events and, and stuff. So now, nah, yeah, I talked to John uh, a good amount as well. He's a, he's a really good guy. And yeah, you guys should totally get him on. I think that would be fascinating yeah. to listen to. He's
1: like, the John's kind of like man. our, <laughs> he, and he's, he's kind of been like our big brother. We're like his two little Kinda. idiot brothers. <laughs>
0: yeah, we are. We're, we're the two children who bother John all the time with stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. there you go. There you go. All right. Thanks again for Mike and JD, as well as uh, Jeremy Feinstone. I am double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out. Everybody
0: in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy sandwich.